It's summer, and that means we'll be outside a lot more, which brings to mind a big concern of mine, ticks and Lyme disease. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Lee Cowden, who is over 30 years as an integrative physician. Dr. Cowden is best known for his treatment of Lyme disease. We'll be picking his brain to find the best natural ways to treat this insidious disease and his Cowden support program. We'll also be talking about Dr. Cowden's new book, No Doctors Required, which I contributed to, and his thoughts on how spirituality can enhance your overall health. Welcome to Be Healthistic, the podcast that's more than just health and wellness information. It's here to help you explore your options across traditional and natural medicine so that you can make informed decisions for you and your family. This podcast illuminates the whole story about holistic health by providing access to the expertise of Drs. Steve and Drew Sinatra, who together have decades of integrative health experience. Be Healthistic is powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. Now, let's join our hosts. Hi, folks. If you like what you hear today and you want to listen to future conversations on all things integrative and holistic health, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com. Also, check out and subscribe to the Healthy Directions YouTube channel, which features video versions of our episodes plus extra videos you won't want to miss. And finally, we have more with me, Dr. Drew Sinatra, my dad, Dr. Steve Sinatra, and other health experts at HealthyDirections.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Be Healthistic. We have Dr. Lee Cowden on the show today, and he is chairman of the Scientific Advisory Board and professor of the Academy of Comprehensive Integrative Medicine. He has been a U.S. board-certified cardiologist and internist, as well as a licensed homeopathic medical doctor. He recently retired from patient care and is now teaching full-time. He has over 30 years of experience treating cardiovascular disease, cancer, and other chronic diseases with his integrative approach to medicine. Dr. Cowden has pioneered successful integrative treatments for many medical conditions, but is probably best known for his treatment of Lyme disease. He is widely sought after for his knowledge and skill in practicing and teaching his various integrative techniques. He has successfully helped patients with health issues that conventional medicine doesn't have answers for, and doctors in a variety of medical specialties have sought out his expertise. Dr. Cowden developed the Cowden Support Program, which successfully treats people with Lyme disease. We'll learn more about these methods in our conversation today. I should also add that Dr. Cowden is a close friend and colleague of my dad. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Cowden. Thank you for having me on your show. Dr. Cowden, this is uh, Drew's dad, as you know. And uh, Drew, I don't know if you know this story, but I, I, I like to tell it just to introduce Dr. Cowden. About 25 years ago, a patient comes into my office referred from Dr. Cowden from Dallas, Texas. Uh, the patient had heart disease. Patient came in and patient also had liver cancer as well. And I saw the patient and I tried to call Dr. Cowden back to give him, you know, my assessment, but he was busy in his office and his office said, uh, we'll get back to you. And I gave him my home number and my office number. Lo and behold, it's 11 o'clock at night. I wasn't on call at night. I was sound asleep. And I get this phone call from Dr. Cowden and, and I'm, and I'm, I'm dead to the world. I was totally exhausted. And he says, yeah, this is Dr. Lee Cowden. You, you called me from your office today. And I said to Lee, I said, oh, yeah, thank, thanks for getting back to me. I was in a slumber. I was half asleep. And I said, yeah, uh, you, you sent me this patient. And uh, what kind of doctor are you anyway? 
And uh, he said to me, well, I'm just like you. I'm a board-certified cardiologist. <laughs> and I said, well, wait a minute. What's a board-certified cardiologist treating cancer for? And I'll never forget it. It was one of the most profound statements I've ever heard from a, you know, from a clinical physician. He says, somebody has to help these people. So genuine, so pure, so thoughtful, so, so heartfelt. And immediately, I wanted Dr. Cowden as a friend and as a colleague after those comments, because I knew it was heartfelt and it came from his heart. So that's my introduction to Dr. Lee Cowden, I think one of the best physicians in America right now. So I'm really pleased that he's on our show. And, and Drew, he's done a lot of work with Lyme disease over the years. He has these uh, interesting formulas. And, and I have to tell you, I, I came down with Lyme about, oh, about 20 years ago. And I did the, uh, the cemento and garlic combination. You know, Lee, I never had occipital headache in my entire life. I've, I don't get headaches, you know, and I never experienced it, but I was getting occipital headache. One of the uh, uh, clinicians that I saw, actually, she was a spiritual healer. She says, I th- I, I'm, I'm getting the vibrational Lyme disease. And, you know, we live in Connecticut. We only live about four miles from Lyme where it all started. So mm-hmm. uh, it made sense to me. So uh, I was taking TOA-free cat's claw, uh, cemento, and I was taking uh, garlic. And that combination for a year, you know, after three or four months, my headaches went away and I never experienced it again. So anyway, that was my introduction to Lyme disease a couple of <laughs> decades ago as well. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So anyway, I'm so glad you're on the show today. And I'm sure you can give our listeners incredible wisdom and pearls about you know, not only uh, all the medicine you've accomplished in your lifetime, but certainly Lyme disease as well, because you wrote that chapter in our textbook on medicine on Lyme disease. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Lee, we're going to we're going to dig into lots of Lyme related things today. I'm, I'm so curious if you could share with our listeners. Uh, and I don't know the answer to this question either is, is how did you get involved in Lyme disease? Well, uh, a naturopathic friend of mine in Dallas uh, came to me when I was uh, hosting a conference, a cancer conference over in uh, Fort Worth. And she brought her grandson with her, and he uh, was was severely ill. Couldn't go to school. Uh, his his grades had gone from A's to to D's and F's, and uh, couldn't remember anything. Uh, bad, you know, fatigue, headaches, uh, lots of symptoms. And she had taken him to a Lyme literate physician who said he's got Lyme disease, and he had treated him with lots of different pharmaceutical antibiotics, and he got progressively worse. So she brought her grandson to this conference and said, what do, you, what do you suggest I do for him? And we happened to be standing close to the Nutramedics uh, exhibit booth there in the lecture hall, or in, in the exhibit hall. And uh, I said, well, this, this uh, cemento is supposed to be pretty good against a lot of different infectious illnesses. Uh, let's muscle test it. Let's interjectly test it and see what we get. So I tested it and she tested it. She was a skilled muscle tester. And we both got that it would likely be very beneficial against this uh, infection that he was dealing with. So I said, you need to go back to the Lyme literate physician, get his permission to stop all the antibiotics and start taking the uh, cemento and see what happens. Uh, so she left the exhibit hall and I didn't, didn't, see, didn't hear from her again for a couple of months. But uh, I learned later that uh, she had taken him home and he had decided that he was going to he was sick and tired of taking the pharmaceutical antibiotics. He, he decided on his own to stop taking all those and start taking the cemento. And he did that. And within a month, he was a whole lot better. And within two months, he was completely well. And uh, so she called a Lyme literate physician and said, 
I'm pretty sure this uh, Cemento got him well. And the doc said, there's no way in the world, you know, uh, there's no herb that's as strong as antibiotics we've already used. Yeah, it was a, it was a spontaneous, miraculous remission, he called it. <laughs> wow. so, and that's, that's only with Cemento by itself, nothing else added on? Well, she was giving him some, some uh, herbs for drainage and, and homeopathics for drainage and so on. So, you know, she was trying to support his organ systems. But, uh, yeah, it was pr- predominantly Cemento as an antimicrobial. And uh, so he said, I'll, I'll, I'll prove it to you. I'll give you some of the patients that have failed antibiotic therapy. You can put them on your stupid Cemento and, sh- and you'll see that it, it doesn't work. So he, get, he sent her fi- over 50 patients with advanced Lyme disease that had failed antibiotic therapy. And every one of them improved. Uh, to varying degrees, 30 to 70%. And so she talked me into doing a, a controlled trial with her. You know, I, I said, I don't have time to do research. She, she said, you don't, you just have to show up. You don't have to do anything else. I just need somebody uh, with, with credentials to, to watch what we're doing. I said, I can do that. So, uh, so we had uh, the Lyme literate physician refer us 14 pairs of patients. One, one of each pair went into our control group and the other of each pair went into our treatment group. And so we gave them, you know, the Cemento and, and a variety of other drainage remedies and other things. And our, the question we were trying to ask is, can we make a difference in patients that have failed standard treatment therapy for Lyme disease? At 10 weeks, we had a 70% improvement in the treatment group and 5% improvement in the control group. And by 18 weeks, we had a 90% improvement in the treatment group and still 5% improvement in the, in the control group. So we concluded that, yes, indeed, it worked. And uh, I, uh, the, the company that provided the uh, Cemento, the Nutramax company, said, can, can you write up what you did so we you know, at least have that for reference? Uh, I said, yeah, sure. So I wrote that up and sent it to them. And once they got it, they said, can we, can we post this on our, on our Ecuadorian website? You know, it shouldn't get anybody into trouble in Ecuador. I said, okay, that's, a, that's fine. So pretty soon I started getting uh, phone calls from people all over the globe who had read that article on the Ecuadorian website and said, I want to come see you as a patient. <laughs> so, I, so I got swarmed with uh, Lyme patients there in the next couple of years. And that's how it continues to grow. Yeah, but I learned a lot about it during that, during that uh, you know, few years there that I was focusing almost exclusively on that. Yeah, well, I think for our listeners, generally speaking, with Lyme disease, a lot of docs just jump to the antibiotics. They jump to the doxycyclines. They jump to the other different antibiotics. And and sometimes yeah. they work, but a lot of the cases, uh, they don't work. And with where I work, very similar center, I guess, that you have is an integrative medicine. And um, we get all these antibiotic failure cases. And so you mm-hmm. really need to, to think outside the box and, and yeah. try different herbal medicines and drainage remedies, like you mentioned. I love the Nutramedics products. We use them in our clinic all the time. So we've, we've had the Cemento, the Banderol on board for a long time, the Berber, of course, for detox. And um, I definitely couldn't practice practicing Lyme disease and, and treating Lyme disease without herbal medicine. It, it just wouldn't happen for me. Yeah. Yeah, it can make a huge difference. Uh, in 2006, I got a call from Dr. Richard Horowitz, who... I uh, said, I have uh, 10,000 Lyme patients in my practice, and 500 of them are doing very poorly. Do you have any ideas? And so by that time, I'd gotten quite a bit of you know, experience treating Lyme patients with natural therapy. So I said, uh, I'll, I'll send you a written protocol by email, and you can buy the products from uh, Nutramedics and, and try it on some patients and see what you think. So he did that for, for close to 100 patients. And over the next six months, 70% of them that had failed antibiotic therapy uh, were completely well. And so he, he uh, 
presented that at the Lyme and Associated Disease Conference in, uh, in the Northeast that year. And, uh, and about uh, two years later, we had the same question from a doctor over in Germany. They said, you know, can, can any of the herbal therapies help when antibiotics fail? We said, yes, Dr. Dr. Horace has already proven that. They said, well, we want to do a study also. So they did a study with 20 patients and also proved that uh, 80% of the patients were markedly improved you know, within about uh, nine months on their study. And Lee, as, as we're talking about Lyme disease, I'm curious to get your perspective on, uh, I always think of Lyme disease as, as an umbrella term, you know, including all the different co-infections that are underneath it, whether it's Babesia or Bartonella or, or Lichia, Anaplasma. Are you kind of referencing all those infections under the umbrella term of Lyme disease? Yes. Around uh, 2010, I was asked to, to go give a, a lecture about Lyme disease in, in Australia. And I prepared my slides and sent them over. And they said, oh, no, you can't talk about Lyme disease. We don't have Lyme disease in Australia. I said, you want me to talk about Lyme disease, but you don't want me to talk about Lyme disease? I'm confused. They said, well, a, a doc, an entomologist down here evaluated 5,000 ticks and didn't find Borrelia in any of the guts. So we don't have Lyme disease here. <laughs> but we, we still want you to come talk. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to come talk about multi-symptom, multimicrobial inflammation. Uh, because there's lots of people that have that. And it doesn't matter whether you give them the, the, the label of uh, Borrelia or Bartonella or Babesia or Lichia, Coxiella, et cetera. This, uh, this treatment program works for all of those. And uh, so I, I, I went, made that presentation and they started using that uh, treatment program down there, but obviously not for Lyme disease since they don't have Lyme disease down there. They, but they, they had great results. You know, the, the patient's uh, they, oftentimes, they didn't even do the test to see what they had. They just started em empirically on the uh, Calvin Support program and found that they they improved. And the beauty of the of the herbal treatment program is that it, it's very extremely broad spectrum antimicrobials. And so you don't have to know the name of the bug to kill him. You just have to try, try it empirically, or if you do muscle testing or electrodermal screening, you do the interject testing to verify that it's the right treatment and then proceed. That's great. I love that. And what are you using these days for testing purposes? Are you, are you, are you into the Zyto still? Yeah, I still use the Zyto quite a bit. That's a, that's a good uh, electrodermal workhorse. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I call it a quantum lie detector. You know, if you go to the police department, <laughs> uh, they put, you, put a couple of electrodes on your hands and then they start asking you questions. And, and then they're looking at the amount of electrical conductance through your skin as they pose each question. And, and they usually know that you're gonna lie before you even say anything because of the electrical uh, change on the skin. Because when you, when you get stressed about having to think about you know, speaking a lie, uh, you have an increase in the uh, perspiration on the skin that increases the electrical conductance. And so then you have a change in the electrical conductance as a result of that. But with the quantum light detector, we're not asking questions with the lips. We're asking questions by uh, putting frequencies into the, into the patient, uh, into, their, into their body, uh, or, or placing a, a substance onto their body that has, fre has frequency generation as well, and then see what kind of uh, galvanic skin response change you get. And uh, so I find that a useful tool. Uh, in, in ancient Hebrew tradition, it was said that if one person said it's so, it's possibly so. If two people say it's so, it's probably so. If three people say it's so, it's so. Uh, that didn't work in this country because there's too many pathological liars. But 
you know, it does work with the electrodermal screening and, and muscle testing combination. So if I do electrodermal screening with, with the Zyto and I find two, two different tests say the same thing, and then I do a muscle test and it says the same thing, then I know it's almost certainly so. And are you still doing any of the conventional labs still, or is those, those just kind of useless through LabCorp Quest and even with something uh, like Igenix? Well, it's a double-edged sword because there, there's at least 30% false negatives. And so you do the test and then you start the treatment uh, for a patient that has a false negative test. Then you get attacked by a licensing board because you're treating something that didn't exist. Exactly. <laughs> So sometimes you're better off just uh, empirically treating and, and using the, the interject testing to guide your process. Are you familiar with the uh, the Armin Labs Elispot test? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good pretty good test. Yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, considerably better than the, the ones that are presently available in this country. My friend Dino Preto is uh, developing a new lab should be open in the next month, I think, uh, called Genetics First, and I think that one will be a better lab than any other labs out there for. Uh, diagnosing Lyme disease. And, and speaking of um, testing, and let's jump into symptoms. What do, you, what do you see as a general constellation symptom where you think of Lyme disease? <laughs> I, I know it's very broad, of course, but are there any key key symptoms there that stand out? Well, yeah, there are, there are a lot of symptoms that are uh, commonly present. And then there's, there's hundreds of other symptoms that are sometimes present. Uh, but uh, the rule I have is if you uh, have a patient with a variety of odd symptoms. Uh, think first Lyme disease because you'll probably be right. You know, some sometimes uh, the symptoms that show up you know, can be from from uh, fungal infection or from parasites or from uh, you know worm parasites or protozoal parasites or it can be from electromagnetic fields. But oftentimes it's from a combination of the above. So you have Lyme disease and fungus because they took antibiotics and the antibiotics killed off the friendly bacteria in the gut and the pathological bacteria overgrew and the fungal, fungus overgrew and then they have all the symptoms from the fungus that's in now. Uh, and the electromagnetic fields stimulate the growth of Lyme-related microbes and also stimulate the growth of funguses that are in the body. So if you've got electromagnetic field exposure, you can expect all the symptoms to be worse. You know, uh, on the... Uh, uh, Ecuadorian website, uh, Nutramedics.ec, there's an article in the Science Library where it, sh- where it shows how over 350 different conditions are uh, caused by Lyme disease. And so you click on any one of those and it takes you to the article in the peer-reviewed literature where that, where that is uh, proven. And so, you know, it can cause, uh, you know, uh, cardiac arrhythmias and congestive heart failure. It can cause uh, arthritis and uh, myalgias and uh, arthralgias. It can cause uh, brain fog. It can cause uh, multiple sclerosis-like uh, symptoms. It can can cause encephalitis. It can cause a variety of gastrointestinal symptoms. So it's it's all over the map. And what I find is that the symptoms vary more depending on what unresolved emotions the patient has than what type of bug they have. And what I mean by that is the Chinese figured out uh, 3,000 years ago that if you have unresolved anger, it's going to hang out in the liver and the gallbladder and the bile ducts. And so you'll have biliary symptoms if you have Lyme disease in that patient because the 
unresolved anger frustration in the uh, hanging out in the liver and the gallbladder causes physical toxin accumulation in the liver and gallbladder. And then that causes microbes to accumulate in the liver and gallbladder. And pretty soon that's where the bulk of your symptoms are. But if you have fear, it's going to show up in the kidneys and the urinary bladder and so on. So different, different emotions result in different symptoms. I like that approach. Drew, let me jump in here because Dr. Cowden said some incredible pearls, uh, and I want to make sure our audience gets it. So basically, it is multiple symptoms you can have with Lyme disease, but I think there's an important key here. If you're a person and you've gone from doctor to doctor and a doctor can't figure it out uh, or the clinic can't figure it out, and you have multiple symptoms, you either have undiagnosed Lyme disease because a lot of the tests have false negatives, false positives, as you mentioned. Uh, you could have mold. Lee mentioned that as well, especially black mold. Mm-hmm. And the electromagnetic uh, intoxication. And, and lots of times these patients have all three. Mm-hmm. You know, they're sensitive to EMF. They've had mold exposure. They got bitten by a tick. And now they're in, they're in a mess. And it takes yeah. a really astute clinic or a physician to figure this out because if you go to a doctor and they can't figure out what's going on with you, it's either undiagnosed Lyme, black mold, or EMF, or all three, or a combination of two or three. But it's that's what I think the diagnosis really is. And that's what I want our listeners to get. So if our listeners are struggling with an illness and nobody's figured it out, this program is for you. Yeah. I would say this too, Steve, that uh, if if the doctor can't figure it out, then pick one of those and treat empirically one of those. And if the patient gets better, you say, yep, that was one of them. <laughs> right. That was one of them. <laughs> now let's go to the other one. I, I agree. You know? That's right. Well, Lee, let's talk about your formulas then, the Nutramedics formulas, because you mentioned Cemento from the beginning. Uh, what What has evolved for you over the years in terms of how you treat Lyme disease and perhaps these other co-infections. Yeah, well, Cemento is a uh, is a pentacyclic oxidol alkaloid type of uncaryotomatosa. Uncaryotomatosa is the botanical name for for cat's claw, and it's not like being uh, cruel to animals and jerking the little claws off of cats. But uh, this this the this vine that grows uh, 100 or 200 feet up into the canopy of the uh, Amazonian forest has little hooks on it coming out of the, out of the uh, side of the vine, and they, they look a whole lot like the, the claw of the cat. And the, the, the active ingredient is found in the bark right under the, the surface of the bark. So, you know, you know the, if you... If you uh, take the wood of the vine, you don't get much effect, and a lot of a lot of people that are making the cat's claw do that. But anyway, this this particular cat's claw was found in nature one season, completely free of tetracyclic oxindole alkaloids, and the TOAs decrease the effectiveness of the pentacyclic oxindole alkaloids. You know, there was a company in uh, Austria that tried that spent a couple million dollars trying to take out the uh, TOAs. Uh, chemically, but uh, but it had solvents and other stuff in it, which was not good. But this this was uh, harvested in nature one season without the TOAs, so that the, the rain, humidity, sunlight, everything was just perfect that year, so that they got a you know phenotypic manifestation of this uh, this type of TOA-free cat's claw, and it's extracted in a very special way. 
that that brings out the actives in a, a different way than just you know grinding up the bark into a, a capsule and swallowing it. So you're you're getting more of the actives in a alcoholic tincture than you would if you just uh, swallowed the powder from a capsule. And the the Nutrimax also does a, a a quantum physical imprinting process. So the so the herb acts not just like an herbal, but it like acts like an herbal and a homeopathic at the same time. And so the Nutrimax does that with 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 almost all of their you know alcoholic tinctures. Uh, so that they uh, have a, a broader action, a, a, a more profound action. To, to give you an example of the difference in effectiveness, uh, they did a study in animals down in, in uh, Ecuador with their alcoholic tincture of noni. Now, noni is, is manufactured by a variety of countries, companies throughout the United States. And when they compared the anti-inflammatory effect of the Nutramedex noni to the most powerful drug that had ever been uh, sold on the U.S. market for inflammation, feldine, they found that it had 98 or 99% the same effectiveness as feldine as far as anti-inflammatory effect. And I, I think this is an important point here in that when you're treating Lyme disease, um, there's many different herbal formulas out there that are sometimes drop dose. And, and I know, Lee, with uh, Nutramedics, we are using drop dose for a lot of these formulas. And people have a really hard time wrapping their head around how is this working? And I think what you're talking about with the quantum imprints and all the other energetic imprints that are in these formulas, that's what makes them so special and so effective. And people, again, it's, and I had a hard time in the beginning when I was treating people because you think more is better in terms of let's just throw a bunch of antibiotics at them or let's just throw a really high dose, you know, one tablespoon per day dose of this herb. But that's not really how these medicines work. They much they work in a much slower, gentler fashion. And that's really how you need to treat Lyme disease and other illnesses like mold toxicity. You need to go really slow because yeah. you can really blow people out of the water in terms of, um, you know, Herxheimer reactions, which are worsening of mm -hmm. symptoms. So I think that's really a key point here. When we're talking about drop dosage here, what I mean by that is if you're taking an herbal formula, there's many different formulas out there, you may start off with one drop under your tongue or even one drop in a glass of water once a day. And then the following day, you might increase to one drop under the tongue twice a day. And then the next day might be two drops under the tongue twice a day, et cetera, until you reach anywhere from 10 drops to 15 drops to 20 drops to even 30 drops twice a day. And the reason that we do this is so that we minimize any side effect or Herxheimer reaction that may occur. And the best way to do this, of course, is to go slow and then work your way up in dose. Yeah. Most people have had Lyme disease for quite some time before it's finally diagnosed. And during that time, the uh, Lyme creatures are dying in the tissues and piling up poop, if you will, in the tissues. And at some point, the, uh, the diagnosis is finally made. And at that point, the patient is so overloaded with the critter poop that, uh, that just ki you know, killing a few of the bugs cause the patient to go into a, uh, a severe, what's called Herxheimer reaction, which can end them up in the hospital uh, because, you know, they, they don't have the ability to handle just one more drop of a, of a, of a critter poop. So what we, what we learned in the study that we did in Dallas is that the first thing you have to do for the first three days is give them no critter killers, only give them drainage remedies to get the poop 
uh, to start moving out so that they don't have such an overload. And then when you finally start the antimicrobial agents, then you don't start them at full dose, you start them at one drop. And if they tolerate one drop, then you get, you go to two drops. If you go to two drops, if they do, do okay with two drops, then you go to three drops. And it might take you, you know, uh, two weeks or four weeks to build up to full dose for the average patient, you know, going that way, but, but they tolerate it. They don't crash and burn. You know, most uh, allopathic doctors, when they give them a standard pharmaceutical antibiotic and they crash and burn because they haven't done anything about the critter poop before they started, those, uh, the, the patient calls the doctor and says, what do I do? And the doctor says, well, stop the treatment. And after a few days, restart it. Well, during the days that they've stopped it, the detox pathways start building up and trying to clear out some of the backlog of poop, but but they've just barely broken even by the time that the, the, the two or three or four days have passed. And then the patient starts back on the full dose of the antimicrobial and they get a, a major Herxheim reaction again. So they never make any uh, major progress over time because the doctors don't understand the importance of detoxification as you go. Yeah. And Lee, I remember back in 2012, someone at iLADS had presented me a little handout and Berber was on there to help mitigate a Herxheimer reaction. So I remember using that extensively way back to, to really reduce the symptoms of a, a Herxheimer. Yeah, it works really well. Uh, you know, it, it's been used in, uh, in Peru for over 100 years for detoxification, uh, but, but it's been quantum imprinted. So the vast majority of the action of Berber now is actually from the quantum imprints. So that uh, that Berber product helps to detoxify the liver, the gallbladder, the bile ducts, the kidneys, the urinary bladder, the lymphatic system, the ground matrix, all at the same time. Nutrimax com- company added uh, Pinella to the Berber product for a combination product that would also help to detoxify the central nervous system and the peripheral nerves really well uh, in addition. So what I usually ask people to do is if they if they have a Herxheimer reaction that involves uh, brain fog or forgetfulness or confusion uh, or headache, to go ahead and add in the, the Pinella along with that so that they get the toxins out of their brain and spinal cord at the same time. Lee, when I have patients come to me with Lyme disease or I suspect something, some kind of co-infection underneath that, I always tell them we're looking at at least a year of, of treatment here, perhaps even 18 months, maybe even 24 months. What do you, what have you told your patients in the past with recovery? Well, it does vary quite a bit. I think the most rapid recovery I've seen is in about four months, but, uh, but you know, the average is a lot longer than that. It's probably nine to 12 months and uh, occasionally longer. The key is to be consistent and drink enough water every day, two ounces of water every 15 minutes all, all day long to help to detoxify the body and also clean up the diet. You know, most people in the United States eat the, the fast food diet. They call it a fast food diet because it speeds you to your grave. And they should switch, switch to a diet that doesn't have, you know, sugars and excessive starches and stuff like that because that usually will feed the fungus that's in their body also and feed the uh, Lyme-related creatures. You can't ever get rid of the creatures because you're feeding them and killing them at the same time. How do you treat or what do you suggest for a tick bite? Someone comes in, they've got a tick bite, they haven't developed the bullseye rash, the erythema migraines rash, they don't have any flu-like symptoms. Uh, what do you recommend? Well, the, the Nutramatic Cemento and Banderol are very well tolerated. The, the exception is those that have Lyme disease that don't know it, that get a 
tick bites, and then they start taking cementol and banderol uh, empirically in large doses because they want to try to prophylax against that tick bite progressing into Lyme disease. And they don't know that they have Lyme disease, so they start getting severe Herxheim reactions from adding that in. But if, uh, other than that, if they if they just start taking some cemento and bandrol, uh, usually the uh, tick bite does not ever result in a in body-wide Lyme disease like you would expect if they didn't. Well, I think most people are familiar with a tick bite uh, being the main vector for uh, transmitting Lyme disease. Are there other ways to contract Lyme disease? In Texas, the most common way to get Lyme disease is from a mosquito bite, not a tick bite. You know, you can also get uh, Lyme disease from any biting insect or arthropod, spiders, you know, there's, there's a variety of other creatures that, that have the Lyme-related microbes in their body. So uh, fleas, lice, mites, scabies, there's, there's good evidence that, uh, that Lyme disease can be transmitted by sexual intercourse. It's found in the, in the you know, alive in the semen. So if it's if it's alive in the semen, then you have intercourse. You're probably going to end up with the, the the Lyme disease in the in, in the woman if the man had it. And it's also found in vaginal secretions. It's found in mother's breast milk, so it can be transmitted to the baby from uh, breastfeeding, uh, very likely. Uh, it's found in uh, in the blood. You know, I, I don't know how the blood banks can. Uh, continue to not screen for Lyme disease in in the you know, blood transfusion that we're receiving, but I uh, they they just say well you know it's not it's not there's no proof that it's transmitted that way. Well, if you have live microbes in the banked blood, then why wouldn't it be transmitted in some cases? It's not logical. Yeah, and that's an important piece for our listeners because we think of Lyme disease only being transmitted by ticks. And uh, the, the reality is most people don't even realize that they've been bit by a tick or um, let's say they got bit by a mosquito while they're in Texas or other parts of the country. And so the whole questionnaire from the beginning of, did you get bit by a tick? No, you didn't. Okay, you don't have Lyme disease. That's a terrible, terrible association there. You can't make that association. Um, right. So I'm really happy that you talked about uh, the other vectors uh, you know, for transmission. Well, I would love to discuss uh, your new book, No Doctors Required, a title that I absolutely love. Um, what prompted you to write this and what's it about? Well, uh, Larry Trivieri is a friend of mine who uh, I co-authored the you know, original Ultra Medicine Definitive Guide with 25 years ago. And he said, uh, I've got this idea for a book, No Doctors Required. I said, oh, my goodness, that's, that's really a great title and uh, something very much needed. We know that that in the United States, there's a, a growing disbelief in allopathic medicine by the general public and increasing seeking after integrative medicine and natural, natural therapies. It went from 33% of the population looking for some type of alternative therapy back in uh, 1998 is up to almost 70% in uh, 2014, I think it was. So, you know, it's, it's, it's increasing every, every year. And if, if we only have a, let's say, less than 5% of the, of the population of physicians in the United States knowing how to, how to deliver decent integrative care, and almost 70% of the population is seeking it, we have a huge supply-demand imbalance. And I thought, you know, we need to teach people how to take care of themselves for the most part. 
and also raise up an entire army of wellness coaches and health coaches that can help the patients uh, go the next step. So they act as a, a triage, if you will, uh, and only the, the sicker of the patients end up uh, finally seeking out and going to an integrated practitioner. And, you know, in the, in the academy, we have uh, a whole host of uh, doctors who've you know, been at this integrated medicine thing for 20, 30, 40 years and have learned a lot about how to help patients help themselves. And so I thought, well, let's, let's do interviews of those doctors and then compile that information into the book in, in, a, in a way that's uh, you know, reader-friendly. And uh, so I reached out to, to Steve Sinatra and a variety of other doctors in our academy that could each be interviewed and give their wisdom to Larry Trivieri to, to make this book uh, you know, a, a valuable book. I'm proud of what, what's what's happened. You know, the academy uh, has all you know teamed together to uh, to make something great. And how many doctors are a part of this book? How many authors are there? I think there's 14 practitioners that that were interviewed, and all kinds. You know, uh, some are not MDs or DOs or NDs. They're they're body workers or they're emotion workers or they're PhD electrophysiologists, uh, whatever. But you know, we have we have a great diversity of information that's been gathered from those uh, various sources uh, that, that you know now has become not no doctors required book. Dad, what what chapter did you write in this book? I actually did two chapters: one on metabolic cardiology, where I talked about the awesome foursome about mm-hmm. coenzyme Q10, D-ribose, carnitine, and magnesium being instrumental in uh, reversing uh, cardiac decompensation. And, and I talked about, you know, how I use it in children. And now these children are adults and they refused heart transplants. And, you know, Larry interviewed me on that extensively. And then the other part of the book, which I thought uh, was very valuable, was the whole essence of earthing and grounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, what does uh, placing your bare feet on Mother Earth energy or the Schumann resonance, so to speak, what that brings to the table? And, uh, Mm-hmm. So those those are my two contributions, and and it's it's kind of interesting because if I look back at my medical career, and I'm a little older than Lee, so I've been let's see I've been a doctor now for since 1972, so it's pretty uh, it's more than 40 around 40, 40 plus years, you know I've been a cardiologist since 1977, but I think the two greatest discoveries in my lifetime has been the essence of uh, earthing and what that does to the body and the miracle of coenzyme Q10. And the interesting thing is they're both connected because both earthing and coenzyme Q10 are potent electron donors. Mm-hmm. So it's electron donors that are really the old, the essence of, the, uh, of, of neutralizing free radical oxidative stress, which is the whole essence of inflammation in the body. So... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a it was a good uh, exercise in looking at my past almost fifty years. You know, I'm, I'm going to have my fiftieth medical school reunion in a couple of years, so that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's very cool. And then, Lee, what was your what was your chapter or chapters? Well, I had uh, little bits and pieces through several chapters, but uh, I uh, spent a lot of time on spirituality, on the spiritual connection to health. Uh, so often that gets ignored in allopathic medicine completely. 
And it's a major mistake because very often a significant contribution to an illness is coming from the unresolved, unrecognized, un, untalked about spiritual issues. And so I uh, uh, you know, talked about how, how a, a practitioner could address that, how, how a patient could address that, and how they could get from being clueless to being knowledgeable enough about that to make a difference in their health. And uh, I, I don't know of any other books out there right now that, uh, that talk about that issue, about that topic. So the book will be unique in many ways, but that's just one of the chapters that makes it very unique. Can you share a little bit more about the, the spirituality piece and, and perhaps how a physician or a practitioner can ask certain questions to learn more about that? Yeah, I think too often uh, doctors don't feel comfortable asking anything, so they don't ask anything. But uh, I learned a long time ago that you can ask a question that's not threatening, like to the patient, tell me something about your spirituality. That's just a you know, kind of a open-ended question. And, you know, you see how they respond. They, you know, some, some people will say, well, I go to church every Wednesday and every Sunday and blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, after they say all of that, I say, well, that, that's very interesting, but, but that's really more about your religiosity. I was really more interested in, in your spirituality and in your relationship with others spiritually and in your relationship with the creator of the universe, if you believe in one. And, and so then they, they, it goes to the next level then, oftentimes in the conversation. And when, when it does, oftentimes you, you actually get uh, at the root of some of the problems that, uh, that, that have resulted. Sometimes it turns out that, uh, that they feel that their family was cursed from something that happened in the past. And sometimes it's true. Uh, sometimes they uh, recognize that uh, that they that they're dealing a lot in their life with guilt, and and the guilt is just burying them, burdening them down to the point where they can't even function. Sometimes they have so much anger that they uh, can't forgive a person in their life. And I let them know that uh, you know anger is is an emotion, but unforgiveness is a spiritual issue, and. You know, in order to be able to forgive completely, you need to get to the point where you don't really want to hold on to the anger anymore. So that's, that's just some basic principles uh, that, that most practitioners for sure should know. And some, uh, you know, the, the, the people that read the book would uh, help, you know, come to understand that would help them to move from where they are stuck to a place where they're no longer stuck in their health. Oh, that's such an important piece. <laughs> Thank you. And I, yeah, I, I would echo that as well. Lee, I think you, you said that in such a beautiful way. I mean, um, you know, in my own growth and development, I became a psychotherapist. And uh, I, I think anger and sadness and heartbreak are, the, are at the root causes mm -hmm. of heart disease. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, it, and, and the thing is, it's some of these things, as you said, are so buried um, that mm -hmm. the per person doesn't even experience them. But, you know, they know they're depressed and they know they're sad and they know they have unexplained anger and rage, but they don't know where it comes from. And that's why uh, uh, these emotional, psychological, spiritual issues are so important. It's so important to unravel. It's like an onion, you know? You, oh, yeah. I mean, you, you unravel one layer and then there's another layer and then another layer. Yeah. And uh, yeah. 
that's the beauty of doing psychotherapy. I've, I'm, I'm so glad I spent years studying with, uh, you know, some really great masters. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's lots of, uh, I call it entanglements in the process of getting to health. Uh, you know, one of the entanglements is the entanglement between different emotions with each other. You know, like you can't release the anger because you still have the fear or you can't release the fear because you still have the sadness or whatever. Uh, but then there's also the entanglement between the emotional issues and the spiritual issues. So, you know, the, the emotional issues that haven't been resolved are, uh, I call them uh, soul wounds, wounding of the soul. And the soul wounds predispose to wounding of the spirit. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a process. The, the, the nice thing is that you don't actually have to get 100% of it completed in order to get well, to get, get to the point where you have good health. Because, you know, that process really is a lifelong process. So you start, start the process at some point, hopefully, uh, because you read a book that, that makes you realize that there's some stuff that you haven't dealt with, and then you start diving into it. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, sometimes a, a long-term process, not a not a short-term process, but a but a very valuable process. And we just need to, uh, you know, uh, ha- have a relationship with somebody that we trust that can be a sounding board because it's really hard for us to see our own stuff. But another person that, that's looking in from the outside can have a an objective perspective, and oftentimes tell us, "Oh, have you thought about this being related to that?" And you say, oh, my goodness, no, I haven't, but I should. And so, you know, we, we can help each other. And it doesn't have to be a psychotherapist. It can be, you know, just a, a, a good-hearted, caring person. In, in 2000, the Journal of American College of Cardiology published an article in the peer-reviewed literature uh, that showed that patients that had cardiomyopathy had 22,000 times more mercury in their heart muscle than patients with coronary artery disease in the same study. And the, the antimony levels were, I think, 2,000 or 5,000 times greater. Arsenic was higher as well. So when I read that article, I thought, well, why in the world would patients with cardiomyopathy have really high levels of mercury in the heart muscle, but the coronary artery disease patients would not? And what I realized was that very likely, those patients with cardiomyopathy had an unresolved brokenheartedness issue that had caused physical toxin accumulation in their heart muscle, which then caused uh, an environment that made it easy for viruses and other microbes to grow in the heart. And then the heart started deteriorating because of all those toxins and all those microbes. And so when I uh, started looking for that in patients with cardiomyopathy, I found it in essentially 100%. And so I found that was the most important thing to do for a patient with cardiomyopathy. Not, you know, even giving them coenzyme Q10 was really important. But if you didn't address the broken hardness issue, they didn't get well. You know, Lee, we're both cardiologists and we're both into the emotional and spiritual factors <laughs> in heart disease. Uh, you know, I wrote my book, Heartbreak and Heart Disease. Oh my gosh, in my 40s, it was probably one of my best books. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, as I get older in, in in the business of doctoring and cardiology, I mean the the absence of love or the failure to achieve unconditional love is a is a major factor in uh, in, mm-hmm. in cardiac illness. No, no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, lo- love is the most powerful healing force in the universe. I'm convinced. Love. Uh, the, the the second most powerful healing force in the universe is uh, is laughter. Right. 
you know, I believe that the creator of the universe is the source of both of those. Is the source of love and the source of joy. Sure. I, I should also mention that one of Lee's clinics, and I, I used to uh, lecture at his clinics years ago. We used to do a belly laugh in the in closing. <laughs> We'd all get on our backs and uh, put our head on the adjacent person's stomach, and it was it was a it was a nice experiential. That's, uh-huh. that's the key word. It's an experiential process where you can laugh hard enough. And remember, if you laugh hard enough, it can bring you to tears. So both the laughter and the deep sorrow that sometimes the laughter could admit in a person was so therapeutic in a workshop. And even though it was sort of Lee's closure of the workshop, to me, it seemed to be the most therapeutic because people were getting Mm -hmm. into their deep sorrow Mm -hmm. through laughter, which elicits the deep sadness that we all have. So mm-hmm. it was really mm-hmm. a pleasure doing workshops with Lee because uh, we were both on the same, same wavelength. <laughs> <laughs> Two yeah. crazy cardiologists talking about the emotional, spiritual aspects of autism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, Lee, uh, we're going to transition here to the wellness wisdom. And uh, if there's one big pearl of wisdom regarding Lyme disease, what would it be? Well, I would say this. Uh, very often, I hear patients say, the doctor says there's nothing else that can be done. Go home and suffer. And that is just wrong. The, the, the correct statement that the doctor should have made is, I know of nothing else that can be done. Go search for answers, because there almost certainly is one out there if you search. Most of the people that are listening probably have not watched the movie Lorenzo's Oil, but if they have not, they should. Great because, movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the two the two parents in there heard the doctor say there's nothing that could be done for your son, but they didn't believe it, thank goodness. And so they kept searching and searching, and they finally found an oil that cured their son. And so I think that there oftentimes is an oil out there, figuratively, that uh, that we can find if we search, but we need to maintain faith and maintain hope. And, and continue to uh, seek joy in everything that we do and continue to uh, receive and give love as best we can every day. Because mm-hmm. those are healing forces. Great closing comments. Couldn't say it better, Lee. Yeah, Lee, thanks for coming on the show today. That was amazing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. And I, I hope that uh, people will go to our uh, to my website drleecowden.com and uh, and register there to say that they want to get the no doctors required book when it comes out uh, and so if they've registered then then we'll have a, a email address for to send them the information about the book coming out wonderful thank you that's our show for today folks if you have a question or an idea for a show topic please send us an email or share a post with us on facebook and remember If you like what you heard today and you want to be an active member of the Be Healthistic community, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorites. You can also find more great content and information from us and the Healthy Directions team at HealthyDirections.com. I'm Dr. Drew Sinatra. And I'm Dr. Steve Sinatra. And this is Be Healthistic. Thanks for listening to Be Healthistic with Drs. Drew and Steve Sinatra, powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. See you next time.